Blog Talk Radio. Greetings and salutations unto the true you within you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Hempware Radio. This is your hemptrepreneurial host, Tyler Hemp, and I am beyond delighted to share with you the knowledge, wisdom, and insight of hemp and cannabis author, museum curator, consultant, public speaker, cannabis expert witness, an internationally respected authority on industrial hemp, medical cannabis, cultivation, garden yields, processing dosages, commercial intent, personal use, and cannabis culture. I first met Chris Conrad in 2005 in San Francisco at the Hemp Industries Association Conference, and this is a gentleman that uh, I have modeled myself after. They always say, you know, uh, or at least one of the things that I live by is, listen to people who have what you want. And this uh, gentleman, through reading his books, meeting with him personally, uh, one of his books, Hemp Lifeline to, to the Future, um, you know, and, and then also Hemp for Health, which you can find at hempaware.com forward slash books. Chris Conrad exudes such a professional and sophisticated energy. Check him out on YouTube if you haven't already. <clears throat> what an awesome guy. Thank you so much for being on today's show, Chris. I really appreciate it. Well, it's great to be here, Tyler. It's, it's nice to uh, be uh, connected with somebody who has, uh, you know, spent so many years dedicated to this issue. Because, as you know, people come and go, but there's a core group that seems to really stick around for the decades. And uh, and you're one of those people. Like this is like, uh, what is, it, ten years at least. Yeah, you know, I was first introduced to hemp when I was 17, so that was a little over 14 years ago. But I met you about 10 years and. And, uh, yeah, they say follow your passion, do what you love. And the moment that I was introduced to hemp, I, I knew I was here to hemp power and hemp educate as many people as possible. So that's why I love teaming up with people like yourself. And if you're a veteran of cannabis and just coming on board this hemp train, I assure you this show is going to be insightful and intriguing. And uh, today's show is actually called Newbie's Guide to Cannabis and the industry with Chris Conrad, your new book, right? Yeah, that's this? right. It's actually, it's going to be out very shortly. Awesome. Plenty well, time for Christmas. I'm going to be one of your first Oh, very good. Well, I'll definitely <laughs> be getting a few copies. Well, well you know, I think and, it's and really important right now, Tyler, because, you know, as we're seeing this, uh, the, the marijuana legalization surging in the polls in these different states doing things, uh, you know, that there's going to be a lot of people who get involved with this who really, um, they're in a position where they can really screw things up or they can get it right. So, you know, our book is trying to help them get things right. So I, I really hope people do, uh, you know, take advantage of this opportunity to, to uh, gain from my 25, 28, 30 years, however many years this has been going on, of, of, of <laughs> research project. Very good. Well, we need we need information like that and books like that to really keep us on track. And before we get into the meat of today's show, you can discover more about Chris and his works at chrisconrad.com. And Chris is also the creator of BOC, which is short for Business Alliance for Commerce in Hemp. I would love to discuss what that is. And obviously, you know, it has to do with commerce and it has to do with hemp. So Chris, Let's talk a little bit about your background. What led you up to getting into the cannabis and hemp world? What, what's your background and what initially inspired you to devour this world and, and really get so deeply involved with it? 
Well, you know, I, I'm a child of the 60s. Uh, I, I was involved with the civil rights movement. My first political activism was opposing the Ku Klux Klan in Maryland, which is not a deep South state, but they, we certainly – uh, you know, had our problems with the racism and so forth there. So, uh, you know, I felt right away, um, it, it, you may have heard the story of four civil rights workers who were buried in a dam in Mississippi uh, because they were trying to end segregation. Well, that's the story that made me decide I had to do something. So I formed a group against the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, later on, I got involved with uh, other civil rights activities. Then we got into the peace movement. Uh, and then throughout the uh, 70s, I was involved with an organization in Long Beach, California, where we were working on housing issues, anti-nuclear issues, pro-environment, uh, social justice, uh, things like that. So the idea of political activism has been very um, just a part of my core. I feel like as an American citizen, if I'm going to live in this country, I have to make sure that I make it a better country because, you know, because uh, <laughs> that's the way America works. You know, it's the people who make it better. And so uh, it wasn't mm -hmm. until uh, 1988 that the turnaround moment in my life happened that made me go from all the different issues I was working on to the hemp issue. And uh, what that was is that I had a niece who went to – well, two things happened. First off, I was involved in an election with a political organization, and uh, they were, we were uh, – the members told me – well, I, I said, why don't we do something about legalizing marijuana? And everyone told me, impossible. You just, you know, what will happen is that you will destroy your reputation and marijuana will be illegal and, and you know, your life will be ruined, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I told them, I didn't think that. I believe that America is a country where you can make changes if you really believe and work hard enough. And then uh, the next thing was that my, but I don't know if I really have done anything except for my niece came back from a dare class and uh, started telling me the, the lies that they were teaching to her in school. And that infuriated me. Uh, and and I, I just set her straight about, you know, cannabis being a, one of the safest therapeutically active substances known to mankind and a major industrial uh, source for our, throughout history. And so then she says, well, if marijuana is not bad, so bad after all, then why did they make it illegal in the first place? And my initial impression was I would just tell her what I thought. But then I decided what I really wanted to do was find out because there's got to be more to it than I know. And so uh, the first thing I did is I went back and I read the uh, congressional hearings, and I found out that right there we have the uh, American Medical Association saying, well, this isn't marijuana, this is, is cannabis, and people call it hemp, and why are you using a fake word to make it illegal? Uh, and then I heard, read all the, uh, the plastic industry, the textile industry, the seed oil industry, the, the bird feed industry, all these people saying, hey, wait, we need this plant. You can't get rid of it. And so that woke me up, and so the first thing I decided to do was to – Take, take away the word marijuana and replace it with the word hemp, just as the word hemp had been replaced by the word marijuana in the 1930s. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this is what was really the turnaround was, like I said, that challenged them. They told me I can't, couldn't change it. Uh, and then when I found out how much I had been lied to throughout my entire life, because I, I, you know, I had a college degree and everything, I had never heard a single word about how important hemp was in the world economy, that America would not have been discovered, so mm -hmm. to speak. Europeans without hemp, that it was the, the, what the original uh, uh, transferable paper uh, and so forth were all made out of hemp. The textiles, the ropes, all these things that made great civilizations rise uh, were all connected to this plant. And, and, you know, I felt like I had been ripped off of my education. I've been, you know, they left out how the world's economy works. And they gave me this thing that was completely mm -hmm. wrong. And, and, uh, and so I felt I needed to make sure other people learned the truth. I was not going to let those lies continue. That's awesome. So that's when you eventually created Bach or Business Alliance for Commerce and Hemp, which a close colleague of mine and, and dear friend Lawrence Serbin with Hemp Traders, he uh, came to work for you before he created Hemp Traders and for uh, Larry. Um, but, you know, 
I would love he is to like a, he is like one of the greats, I think. You know, he, he's another example of somebody who got in early, understood it, and made a, a business out of it that's actually sustainable business. Because I've seen so many people fail in their business enterprises that he's a great model mm-hmm. of someone who did it right. Exactly. And so this this idea of commerce and building an alliance for businesses to bring him to the market to price, is that, that really the intention behind Bach? Absolutely. What happened is I came into this, it was in 1988, uh, we were at the height of the Reagan administration, at the end of the Reagan administration, I should say. Uh, in fact, uh, George Bush had just gotten elected president on the day that I decided to become involved in this issue. That's part of the inspiration for me to decide to do something. Um, and uh, so, you know, I, what I did was I did, Unlike most people who approach this issue, I, I looked at it and I said, I want to change this. How am I going to change it? And so I decided on several principles. I had to re-change the way people think, and the way to change the way they think is to change the way they talk. And the way to change the way they talk is to restore the word hemp away, back into it. And the other thing is to find out what motivates each individual to become involved, because I don't look at society as a big gray lump. It's comprised of the, the fibers, you know, it's like a tapestry with uh, millions of little fibers in there, and each of them has its own motive for why it's weaving through it, the, the tapestry and what it's going to make the tapestry depict, as it were, when all is said and done. So basically, I was looking for ways to reach people, and I thought, well, the one thing that we all have in common as motivation is that we need to make money. And so the idea that people could not only be involved in a social justice issue, but do it in a way where they can actually create uh, economic opportunities for themselves uh, is something that I felt was really important. And I knew a lot of people who were selling marijuana illicitly at the time, uh, you know, but, but of course what I discovered was that hemp is so much more important economically than marijuana that, uh, you know, that this became a part of my mission was to re to reawaken the hemp industry, but also to let people understand that you can make money selling marijuana without having to do it in an illegal sense. We just have to change the laws to make that possible. And so, uh, you know, as I look at what's happened since then, of course, we got the Hemp Industries Association going, and those were businesses. They were into it for the for the money, but as well as for the social justice. But a lot of it was about making money. Uh, when the medical marijuana issue came to the front, we got it started with people who were interested in helping sick people. But before long, we People have gotten involved because they see it as an opportunity, like anything in the medical industry, is an opportunity to make money. And then now that we've gotten this momentum for the legalization of marijuana, I think that one of the major turning points was uh, I, I formed another group called uh, Tax and Regulate uh, and uh, uh, Legalize Tax and Regulate. Excuse me, Legalize Tax and Regulate. And uh, we didn't say what we were talking about, legalizing, taxing, and regulating. But you know, the whole notion of that was to get people to understand that mm-hmm. you know that how much money there is. It's a, it's a billion-dollar industry. And I know a lot of people say out here in California that it's kind of a mom-and-pop industry, and we have people saying, well, they don't like the big money getting into it. But I'll tell you, those international drug cartels you're hearing about, that's big money. Uh, there's always been big money in marijuana. Mm-hmm. The thing is that we've just made it illegal for people to pay their taxes and to record their profits and to give back to society. And that's what we're trying to make legal again, the right of those people who are making the money to contribute back to society without fear of going to prison. Wow, that is so fascinating. And before we get into the newbie's guide to cannabis and the industry, I would your greatest influences, not only in the hemp industry, but just in life in general. Who who are some of your greatest influences? Well, of course, I was majorly inspired by the greats, like, you know, uh, John and, and Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King. And one of the things I noticed is that all three of them got killed. 
and so I thought, well, what I wanted to do was come up with a way of doing stuff that did not get me killed. Uh, I thought that I could do more if I was still alive. And so um, I came up with a, what I call the gray uh, meaning that I – I can instigate and guide change, but then other people tend to get the credit for it. Um, and so that's why a lot of your listeners have probably never heard of me, even though I've been possibly the most, but certainly one of the most influential people in this industry, is because I am normally busy getting other people the credit mm-hmm. uh, for things, and then I can continue on moving forward in my own direction. But some of the people, one of the people that I always have to mention is Sid Solomon. Nobody's ever heard of him. He, he was just a guy who taught me how to be a political activist and how to succeed at being a political activist. Because a lot of people, they get into it, they like the political fight. But, you know, to me, it's not about fighting, it's about winning. And, and Sid Solomon was the person who taught me how to win politically. Mm-hmm. Um, but then within the uh, the cannabis industry, of course, uh, you know, you've got uh, – well, Jack Herr, of course. I worked with him and, and designed and edited The Emperor mm-hmm. where clothes. I collaborated, uh, did a lot of the actual ghostwriting on that book uh, in 1990. And so, uh, you know, Jack and I, we had our, our differences, but we had the similar vision of hemp being used to save the earth. And so, you know, that's, that's where we had this kindred spirit. And, and for a long time, we were side by side uh, until we got to Prop 215. At that point, he felt we should – keep demanding all. And I said, it's time to take legal medical marijuana if we can get it. We, I don't want to keep, you know, uh, I'm not an all or nothing person. And Jack was. Um, so, you know, he, he was mm-hmm. inspirational in a certain way, but he, I also learned from his uh, uh, shortcomings. Uh, somebody else that's really important to me is uh, Ben Dronkers, the Sensi Seed Bank owner and uh, the owner of the Hash Marijuana Hemp Museum. And when I went to Holland, mm-hmm. and I, I connected with him and his son, Alan, mm-hmm. and we put together the museum. I said, this is an opportunity to inform the whole world about this stuff, you know, not just America, which the emperor was really designed for America. And so I, I got to move from probably the most influential book in, mm-hmm. in America and organizing 90-some organizations here in the U.S., and then I went to Europe, and we spread that. We got all of our, my information that I wrote for the – not only for Bach, but the Family Council on Drug Awareness. People may have heard that. It's something – 10 things every parent, teacher, and teenager should know about marijuana, marijuana and Bible, uh, those kind of things. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, that we uh, – you know, I, I published all these different things in, in, for the U.S., but then we went to Europe, and we translated into like seven or eight different languages and got spread all around the world. And so that made a huge jump forward. And Gatewood Galbraith, he was the uh, Kentucky uh, gubernatorial candidate. Um, uh, you know, you uh, just got to be inspired by the guy. He's saying, my pappy grew temp, and I should be able to grow it too. Uh, or, of course, he's passed away now, uh, as has Jack, but Ben is still alive. So, You know, another guy who I think is often uh, doesn't get enough credit is Don Wertschafter. Um, Don Wertschafter, he had the Ohio Hempery and oh, the Hempery yeah. and now collecting a lot of things. A lot of people don't realize how important he has been. Uh, but, you know, with, I've worked side by side with him for many, many years, and, and I, I find him to be great. And, of course, the other thing is everybody in the Hemp Industries Association, uh, National Cannabis Industries Association. Uh, I, I was uh, directly involved in forming the Hemp Industries Association, the first president. The National Cannabis Industries Association, Aaron Smith, was um, uh, he was an assistant of mine, and then he went on to do this, like Don Duncan, an uh, assistant of mine, who went on to become the uh, one of the founders of ASA and, um, you know, the the – He's done a huge amount of California and so forth. So, uh, you know, I'm really inspired by the people I meet, and then they go on and they do more. I think that's the most exciting, the members of EHIA uh, being one of the core groups of that. Most certainly. I vouch for every every human that you just discussed or you know, mentioned, absolutely. So Yeah, well, there's so many, you know, um, in the industry. Other- 
Yeah, and one becomes – it's almost scary to mention anybody because you have to exclude so many other people just by doing that. And, and there's just uh, – I'm, I'm inspired every day by people. Mm-hmm. Amen. Me too. Well said. Regard to the newbies, guys, the cannabis in the industry, uh, do you want to discuss maybe your, your most preferred chapter or maybe the chapter specifically on industrial hemp and talk about some key points that people will receive in that book? Yeah, um, actually, I, I think that is a good uh, good thing to talk about because the, the newbies guide anticipates that as cannabis becomes more accepted and common, that people are going to need clear, basic information and guidance, uh, and also people who have got experience. Uh, you, you know, I'm a big picture person. A lot of people they get lost in the little details, and so this is a book that'll get you back into the big picture to understand how these things all tie together uh, and and give people a better, even with a lot of experience and knowledge. Uh, first off, it's going to have stuff you haven't heard of before, but second off, it'll probably help people, or at least it's our intention, that it will help people get a sense of how to advance what they're doing already uh, if they are involved in it and how to get involved with either the use of cannabis or the industry. Um, we have uh, a whole chapter on hemp, of course, and the, you know, the real point of it is that we talk about the things that people, the sexy stuff, as it were, earlier on in the book. Uh, you know, the idea of getting high, the idea of uh, having a little marijuana store, the idea of uh, saving someone's life, you know, with marijuana. Uh, but ultimately, we're building towards the hemp chapter because, to me, that is really the main key. Uh, with hemp, we can heal the entire planet. With marijuana, we can heal a person. But with hemp, we've got an entire planet. And so this is telling people not only uh, about the, the diversity of hemp and how it's got all these different uses and the environmental importance and the economic importance, uh, but also about how to avoid making the basic mistakes that people get in, you know, who, who get in the hemp industries and where we see the opportunities being. For example, right now, uh, if you grow a lot of hemp right now, if you could, you would still have to find a way of getting it to market. And so this is why in order to get to that point, we need to have people developing the technology to move it forward. And this is hugely exciting. We've got people who are not only working with cannabis for the traditional things like food, clothing, shelter, uh, plastic, uh, and things like that, but we've got people who are doing things like making a computer, uh, what do you call it, the 3D printer uh, technology and things Mm -hmm. like that, Um, and uh, using it for fuel and using it for uh, bioremediation uh, of the planet. They're either getting rid of using hemp instead of pesticides to control weeds and tests or uh, using it to draw heavy metals out of the soil. And then we explain that whole aspect that, you know, that if you're drawing heavy metals out of the soil into your hemp, that means your hemp is contaminated. So that means you can only do certain things with it. Uh, And also to dispel certain kinds of what I think are are Mm -hmm. the way I help to propagate. Uh, because like in Hemp Lifeline to the Future and Hemp for Health, I talked about using industrial hemp for uh, the cannabinoids other than THC. Um, but now you have to realize that mm-hmm. uh, if you're going to make that into, say, making uh, CBD products out of it, if you're using industrial hemp and it's being grown on soil that's contaminated, then that's going to get into your CBD uh, product. Right. And so, you know, we, I just uh, – not that you can't use industrial hemp to do it, but you just have to be organic industrial hemp. It couldn't be something that's been used to take uh, mercury out of the soil, for example, and then make a CBD extract out of it. So those kind of things where uh, – you know, there's just one more step of thought that really needs to be taken under things to give people that extra idea of where they should go or what they need to watch out for. And, and of course, the most important thing is you have to apply business sense. And that's where Larry Serbin is such a great example and, and uh, a number of other people as well. Um, um, David um, uh, Bronner, Bronner, another mm-hmm. 
and uh, uh, the, like the hemp food products and stuff like that. There are certain areas where you've got an opportunity to make a value-added product and uh, gain a lot of economic gains. There's a lot of areas where you can lose a lot of money. And so this book will try to help people find something that's good for the environment, but also is not going to make them go bankrupt trying to do something good. I, I don't see that as being a great value to convince people to lose money. And so, you know, I feel kind of bad about all the people who've lost years with hemp. Uh, and so this is an opportunity for me to give people those warnings about what to watch out for. Right on. And it's, it's not just about hemp. It's like you're saying, it's really the whole environment around hemp and Obviously, we have to be contact corporations that are, you know, like possibly Monsanto coming in and doing genetically modified hemp. Well, it's hemp, but if it's GMO, let's we got to think bigger picture, which is what your book helps is, is really think long term, bigger picture, how we can integrate hemp in the most efficient way that is for the for the benefit of the whole, not just the individual. Absolutely, so, Tyler. And moreover than that is the idea that. Um, r- you know, I, I'm a believer in you take advantage of adversity. Things that are, don't look like they're going to help you can actually be beneficial to you. And I could give you a lot of examples, but I'll just give you the one that right now is that the federal prohibition on cannabis is actually gives us the advantage that Monsanto and these big corporations are not going to get involved as long as the federal government might take all their property. And so right now is the opportunity for people who are not those kind of big corporations for us to get control of this uh, industry before it can be taken over by these big powerhouses like that, because they're afraid of the federal government in ways that an individual can show a lot more courage or a small business or something within a state, for example. Uh, Monsanto is interstate, but it's also international, so they have to deal – if they do something, they have to figure out what's the ramifications on the federal level, what's the ramifications on the international level, whereas if you start a business within the state of, say, Colorado uh, or uh, California or any state that has a hemp law on the books, as it were, Kentucky – uh, then, you know, as a small business, you don't have to worry about interstate issues. You don't have to worry about international issues. So you are actually in a position to take advantage of what is really an adversity, the marijuana prohibition at the federal level. Uh, and, and so, you know, so a lot of people say, well, we should just have this big international, this big national change of the law. And I, I agree. But at the same time, since we don't have that, let's take advantage of what that gives us. And that gives us the leverage to keep Monsanto out. Exactly. That's a great insight for the newbies that are just getting into the cannabis world. We've just got about eight minutes left. I could talk to you for hours. I really appreciate your your time. And uh, I I have a couple more questions. So what are a few essential principles that you live by, not just in your life, but as it relates to going into court cases, as it relates to business with hemp? What are some of the principles uh, of success that you live by? You know, um, one of the things is that it really comes down to the same thing to me, which is uh, using good judgment. Uh, You have to see your opportunities to take advantage of them, uh, but you have to also be ready to make your move when the time opens up. Like, for example, for me, when I I went to – when I decided to get involved in the cannabis reform movement, there was really nobody with a plan out there. So I was able to write the plan, the Business Alliance for Commerce and Hemp, restore industrial hemp, uh, allow medical marijuana with the doctor's oversight, uh, re-legalize marijuana for adult use, including personal cultivation mm-hmm. and commercial sales. And I put together a package of how to accomplish that, But and there was nobody else out there with a proposal. And so you see what's happened in the past 28 years. It all reflects my ideas of how to move forward. There, 
I, you know, I was expecting my plan to be replaced by another plan at some point, but right now it still goes forward. Uh, likewise, when I walked into uh, the museum in Holland and I looked around and I said to the people there, I said, I said, you know, if this was my museum, here's what I would do. And I took out a piece of paper and started drawing stuff. And they said, well, why don't we come back and do that? And so that's how I got into that. When it came to the medical marijuana issue, uh, Proposition 215 in California, where the big schism going on out here. A lot of people don't remember this, but there was Jack Hare was the industrial hemp, uh, legal marijuana, we want it all or we don't want anything. And then Dennis Prone was, you know, well, medical marijuana, uh, screw the other stuff. And so uh, most of us were kind of, we wanted it all, we wanted both, you know. But so, uh, but I saw there was an opportunity to make progress within medical marijuana. And so my wife and I, because we were connected to everybody else, Mickey Norris and I became the uh, grassroots coordinator. And we brought together all these groups around the state to make that happen. Um, likewise, when people... After we changed the law here in California, we had people going to prison, and you know, the, the, there was no money to defend them. And so the, well, there was the defense attorneys, and so at that point, I worked with a lot of those guys, and so uh, they said we needed somebody to come to court who can just – who has a background to go ahead and, and tell the truth to try to set people free. You know, because I always have to tell the truth. And so what, I saw that opportunity and I took that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and right now I'm doing a lot of teaching with groups all around the world and so forth. So, you know, I think the main thing is to look for opportunities and pick the ones you want, but make sure you don't hesitate. Make sure you make your move when it's the right time. Another thing is to let it go if it doesn't really matter. You know, uh, in this movement, there's a lot of. Um, you know, um, I, I don't know if you can say the expression, uh, but urination contests, so to speak, <laughs> about who did what when. So I, I would rather keep the ball moving forward than fight about things like that. And, and so, you know, I, if somebody else gets the credit for my work, I just say, oh, well, the work was done. Things are moving forward. That's, you know, that's what I wanted to. I'm not going to, you know, haggle about that. And the other thing is to make sure you stand up when you need to. There, I've had moments like when the D.A.R.E. program, uh, we got the D.A.R.E. program thrown out of, uh, of um, Oakland, and it led to a chain reaction where it led to this, the collapse of the D.A.R.E. program. And, and, you know, the way that that happened was that we went to a meeting and, uh, you know, the, they were trying to get more money for D.A.R.E. and a group of us just said, said no, we don't want D.A.R.E. getting more money. In fact, you know, if they can't afford to keep D.A.R.E. going, this is the perfect time to end it because it's destructive. And so we got Oakland to drop that. Uh, but if we hadn't been there to stand up, you know, it wouldn't have happened. Uh, and the other thing is, like I said, let somebody else get the credit, you know. It, you know, the... Right. the it, it, it's just don't credit, you know, in 50 years or 100 years or 500 years from now, nobody's going to remember us, any of us, you know, maybe Jack Harrell still remember, but I think most of us mm -hmm. are going to be completely. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important that what world we give to our next generations is much more important than us getting the credit for what we do. And so, you know, like I say, I, I, we're not even going to get into a huge amount of the stuff I've done, but it's just, uh, you know, it, it's not about getting credit. It's about changing the world and saving the world, I think. Hey, man, I'm so glad to hear you say that. And like I said, you are a dear teacher of mine, somebody I've modeled after for the last 14 years, 12 years. Uh, and that's a huge insight for me, and I really appreciate that. So with just three, if you could describe the next five years as far as your highest vision for the cannabis and hemp industry, I'd love to hear it. I think that the next five years, uh, as far as hemp is concerned, is we need to make the transition uh, 
from just looking at it as a business crop to looking at it as a horticultural bioresource for the restoration of the planet, meaning that we need to be, you know, we've got desertification going on around this country, around the world. That needs to be dealt with. Hemp is a crop that can help us to do that. We've got to stop poisoning the environment so that we can use hemp to do that. We've got areas that have been deforested that need to be covered up to save that soil. We should be using hemp to do that. We've got uh, wetlands that we need to preserve and, and keeping hemp in there shades of soil and, and keeps the moisture in the ground. We've got so many things. Uh, you know, I think that this is a, the time for us not only to make take advantage of the uh, financial and industrial benefits of hemp, but also to just look at it. What has it done to this planet for us to have taken the world's most valuable plant and made it illegal and sought to destroy it? And what are we going to do to put the planet back on balance? You know, almost the the vast majority of the problems we have today have been caused in the past 150 years since the Industrial Revolution. And so, you know, this is really what we need to do is how do we get maintain our quality of life and standard of living that we have today, but do it in a way that will keep the world alive as it has been in the past? And hemp is totally the answer to that. I think people need to look at that, but they also need to look at how do we financially succeed. And so there's a combination of those two things. We have to resolve that little conflict. It's, Doing, doing good uh, and making money while doing good. Amen. Making a difference and a dollar. Well, thank you so <laughs> much for tuning in. Get your copy of Newbie's Guide to Cannabis and the Industry with Chris Conrad. If you haven't, uh, check us out at hempaware.com forward slash radio. If you have iTunes, go to the iTunes podcast library. You can check out all the past archived hemp episodes. Share them with your friends. Take this uh, episode and put it on your Facebook. Put it on your website. Do whatever you can do. Get a copy of Newbie's Guide to Cannabis in the Industry with Chris Conrad. Chris, where can people buy your book when it comes out? Well, it's going to be all over the place, Amazon.com. We're hoping it will be actually in Costco and Walmart is what we're working on. But, uh, you know, if, if people don't have a good bookstore to go to, uh, go online. It's, it's uh, still in, being printed right now, so we're talking about uh, late November, December before it's going to be available. All right. Well, that'll be the one of the best Christmas gifts I could ever receive. Thank you so much for being on today's show. I hope to have you on a future hemp episode. My pleasure. And, you know, I would say to your listeners, Tyler is a good example. Follow your passion and do something to educate the world. You can't go wrong for that. Amen. Have a blessed day. Thanks so much, Chris. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.